John chapter 16. Brother Renato has a CD coming out at the end of this month. I'm kidding. Kidding. Boy, I, I was just sitting here thinking, man, the, and obviously I didn't know him as a young man, um, but just the, the difference in a life between somebody sitting in a bar in the Philippines drunk and somebody walking into church and getting saved and God changing a life. That's just an amazing thing. And boy, we do have a whole lot to thank him for. His testimony is different than mine. His testimony is probably different than yours, but we all have a testimony of how Jesus Christ saved us. And uh, it's a tremendous thing. And it's something that, boy, his blood saved us and it washed us and cleaned us up and made us into different people. And uh, it ought to change the way that we live once we come to Christ. Well, John chapter 16 is near the end of the book of John. And that means Jesus' crucifixion was drawing very near. Um, in fact, these words we're going to read here in just a few minutes were spoken by Jesus to the disciples on the night before his crucifixion. And we won't take the time to go into the whole story, but the disciples were pretty confused about just exactly what Jesus' plans were for his kingdom. For the most part, they thought that he was going to establish his kingdom here on the earth. And obviously, that's never what his intention was. He was never planning to take over the government. He was never planning to be an earthly king, but they didn't understand that. In fact, even after Jesus uh, rose from the dead, the disciples were talking amongst themselves, and they came and asked Jesus the question, now are you going to establish your kingdom on this earth? So obviously, they were very confused with the whole thing. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew that in a matter of hours, things were never going to be the same for them. He knew that the disciples' world was about to be turned upside down even more than they could possibly know. Not only was he going to be killed, he was going to go back into heaven in a matter of just weeks after that. And they were going to be on their own. They were going to be as sheep among wolves. And it was going to be their responsibility to spread the message of the gospel to the entire known world at the time. Does that sound familiar? For most of us, our lives have been turned upside down. And I'm not even talking about all the stuff that's going on with COVID. I mean, for the most part, you know... It's obviously it's interrupted our lives, but for the most part, we've been able to carry on with life, even if it looks a little different. But I'm talking about the fact that our world has been turned upside down politically, spiritually, socially, just about in every way in between. It's hard to recognize our country as the same country that it was 20 years ago. And honestly, it's, it's because it's not the same country that it was 20 years ago. Things have changed so much. Our world can be turned upside down in just a moment of time. But I want you to notice carefully what the Lord said to his disciples in John chapter 16 and verse 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He gives them this sentence that is so wrapped up in so many different emotions. I mean, he, he tells them things are going to be tough, but then he immediately follows that by, by, uh, by probably one of the most heartwarming, breathtaking, uh, comforting phrases in all the Bible, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. If only the disciples could have seen what was coming. Now, Jesus, in the next chapter, chapter 17, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, he prays for all believers, and then he crosses the brook Cedron into a garden, a garden where he would be betrayed, where he would be arrested, 
mere hours before he was to be crucified. And I can't help but think that after those events took place, that some of the disciples, if not all of them, thought back to the, the, the phrase, the things that Jesus was talking about just a couple hours before their world was turned upside down. And thought back to the words that Jesus spoke in John chapter 16 and verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That's what I want to spend a couple minutes talking to you about this morning. Cheer up. That's what Jesus told his disciples, and that's what I believe he's telling us at the same time. So let's talk about it for a few minutes this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the time we can spend together. Pray that you'd bless the time that we have together around your word. I pray that you give us exactly what we need. That'll be an encouragement to us. That's what I want to be this morning, is an encouragement to continue living for Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to kind of focus on verse 33 this morning and take a couple of those phrases out of there. The first thing that we can see is the condition in which we reside. Now, our condition is unavoidable. The Bible says there in verse number 33, in the world. I would ask for a raise of hands of all those Christians who are in the world, but that would be pointless because every hand would go up. We are all in the world. Plus, I don't want to wake you up if you're already settling in for a good nap, but... As long as we live in the world, what Jesus is saying is going to be true. We are in the world. By the way, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And there's a huge difference. An old-time preacher, I don't even remember which one it was, said, I'm, just, uh, uh, I'm not looking for the undertaker, I'm looking for the uppertaker. And that's exactly what we should be looking for. We're not looking to live in this world. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's what he's talking about. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you're saved, you become a new creature in Jesus Christ. And when you become a new creature, not a, you're not the same person that you were before. You have been transformed in your mind. And because of that, we should not be conformed to this world. Someone who's just passing through doesn't have time to lay down roots and get comfortable. Somebody that's just passing through doesn't have time to make a home of a place that they're just passing through. You shouldn't be comfortable in this world, especially in the backslidden, God-hating, sin-loving state that our world is in today. It should be uncomfortable living here. Our condition is unavoidable. We are in the world. But our condition is also unselective. The Bible says, ye shall have tribulation. In other words, we don't get to select what we go through and what we don't go through. It's unavoidable, and it's unselective. Brother John just talked about the word shall in the Bible. That means it's not an option. You shall have tribulation, Jesus says. No father of Christ is exempt from what Jesus is declaring to be true here. We will go through tough times. We will go through persecution. We will go through tribulation. We're all included. By the way, if you find it easy to be a Christian, there's a very good possibility that you're not one. Because it's not easy to be a Christian, especially in the world that we live in today. Especially with how much Satan is, uh, is obviously behind it, but how much Satan hates God. How much this world, through Satan, hates God. And how much they hate the things of God. And, and you notice that there's a lot of people that are willing to talk about God, but they don't want to talk about Jesus Christ. 
Don't talk about Jesus Christ. God can be anything you want him to be. He's just this superpower up in the sky. You know, he's the man upstairs. You can talk about God all you want to, but don't talk about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, the Bible says. Now, God sent his only begotten son to be the Savior of the world, but Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he is the one that's offensive to people because that means they have to acknowledge that they're sinners. That means that they have to acknowledge that they need a Savior. That means they have to acknowledge that they're not good enough to get to heaven on their own. Don't talk about Jesus Christ. But look what he says next. Our condition is unpleasant because he says, ye shall have tribulation. That word primarily has to do with a pressing or with a pressure. That's what that word tribulation means. That's the condition in which we reside. That is our condition in the world. We are going to go through tribulation. You'll, made, you'll be made fun of for being a Christian. You'll be peculiar. You'll stick out from the crowd. You'll be different. That's all uh, persecution and tribulation we know for the most part. We, we don't really know what it means to be persecuted for being a Christian. We don't really know what it means to go through tribulation for being a Christian. Because in America, the most that happens is you get made fun of. The most that happens is you get a door slammed in your face when you're trying to tell somebody about Christ. The most that happens is you might get made fun of for being peculiar. You might be made fun of for not doing the things that the rest of the world does. That's not persecution. That's not, that's not tribulation. Many Christians down through the centuries have laid down their lives by being burned at the stake for being a Christian. They've laid, their, they've laid down their lives by being drugged through the streets on a rope behind a horse. Sometimes they even put two horses together and tied them to that and sent those horses in different directions. There's been a lot of persecution down through the centuries. They've been drowned. They've been tortured. They've been whipped. They've been beaten. They've been disrespected. They've been humiliated in, in, in ways that you cannot even imagine because they wouldn't deny Christ. That's persecution. In 1555, as part of her campaign to reestablish the Catholic Church in England, Queen Mary, she was also known as Bloody Mary because of, of how many people she killed in her attempt to, to reestablish Catholicism in an attempt, honestly, to reestablish her rule there in England. But in 1555, there was a man by the name of John Philpot. He was one of the leading Protestant ministers of the day, and he was sentenced to be burned at the stake. And when his death sentence was pronounced, he said this, I am ready. God grant me strength and a joyful resurrection. He was walked to the place of persecution uh, or the place of execution on his own. Many times, uh, and, and I'm not saying that you know these people were not willing to go, but many times they would bind their hands and they would put them with a rope and they would lead them to the, to the place that they were to be executed. He didn't have to be bound at all. He walked to the place of his execution because he was willing, completely willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. He was not going to renounce Christ. And when he reached the place where he was to be burned at the stake, he knelt down and he kissed the stake at which he would be burned. It's easy for us to focus on our problems. It's easy for us to think that, that they're larger than they really are. Most of us have never really endured genuine persecution for being a Christian, for our faith. A few times people have, have gotten upset with me for sharing the gospel. A few times, you know, uh, you get laughed at and you walk away. People, you know, oh, there goes that Bible thumper, whatever they want to call you, Right? Um, there may come a day when we have to make a life or death decision. And we thought, oh, it'll never happen in America. Look at what's going on in our country. Look at what's going on in our cities. 
There may be a day in America in the not-so-distant future where you're made to make a choice between Christ or renouncing Christ to keep your life. Never thought that would happen in America, but there's, it's, it's, it's a very real possibility now. It happens all over. By the way, you've read or, or at least heard maybe of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs is a book written about all of the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, all the way up to about the 16th, 17th century Christians who were persecuted uh, and, and, and essentially killed for their faith. Do you know that more Christians are being killed today around the world than at any time in human history? We don't hear about it like we know about it that it used to happen when, you know, when they were actually out there actively killing Christians and, and doing it out in the open and everything else. More Christians are being killed today than at any time in our human history. That's persecution. And the Bible says that that is unavoidable. We are going to have persecution. We know that Jesus said, wherever you are, you're going to have tribulation. And that sounds very discouraging. But I want you to see this. Not only the condition in which we reside, but the command which we have received. He said, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. That's a command. And it's not only a command. Number one, it's a personal command. It was spoken to each one of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that night, and it continues to each follower today. What a command. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it feels impossible, but it is a command nonetheless. And when God gives a command, he also gives a way to follow through with that command. He never tells us to do something that there's no possible way that we can do. And so if he says, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer... That means that there is a way that we can do that. That means that it is possible to be of good cheer, even in the midst of everything that's going on. I understand the discouragement. I'm right there with you in a lot of it. By the way, maybe you've seen some of this on Facebook, or I don't know, but Pastor Jack Trever, he's a pastor of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. Big church, which, by the way, uh, you want to listen to some good godly music, uh, the internet station. It's, it's, you, you have to listen to it through the internet, but it's KNVBC. And they play, they play songs, and they have messages, and, and all kinds of stuff all the way throughout the day. But good Christ-honoring music, we leave it on at our, at our house a lot. It just plays through the speakers. KNVBC Revival Radio is what it is, but it comes from North Valley Baptist Church. NVBC stands for North Valley Baptist Church. But they also have Golden State Baptist College there, and I don't know, they probably have four or 500 students, and the church is probably two or 3,000 people. They have bus ministry that they run and pick up probably 1,000 or 1,500 kids a week. It's a very large ministry there in California, which, of course, as you know, California is, is one of the most, probably not one of, probably the most liberal state in the union. And they've told them that they cannot meet for church. Now, obviously, you know, uh, John MacArthur was told the same thing. They said, we're going to meet no matter what you do to us. You can't shut us down. This is what we need to do. Uh, it's not only that we have a right by our Constitution, although we do have a right by our Constitution to worship God in the way that we see fit, but it's even bigger than that. God has commanded us to meet in church. And so North Valley Baptist Church, Pastor Jack Trebers, they, they have done everything that they could possibly do. They shut everything down. They shut it down for longer than what most churches actually did. They shut everything down. No picking up kids on the bus, no school, no Sunday school classes, uh, no church services. They were, they were doing everything live stream. 
they shut everything down for about four or five months, and they finally decided we need to get back to church. He said we, they erred on the side of caution because they just wanted to make sure that they were not going to be responsible for deaths and all this other kind of stuff. So they shut everything down other than the live stream services. And they finally got to the point where they said, we are commanded by Christ to meet. We need to start meeting again. And so they did. And the governor came out and said, every single time you meet for church, we're going to charge you $5,000. We're going to give you a $5,000 fine. So they met last week. And by the way, Pastor Treber got on, um, uh, he made like a, he did like a little video statement to kind of give everybody an update on what was going on. And he said, by them closing down and not having church services and by them not having their school and by them not having their college and everything else, it's cost them over a million dollars for, for all of those things not being open. And he said that they met last Sunday morning for the first time after this whole new regulations were put out, and they charged them $5,000 for being there on Sunday morning. And they came back and they met Sunday night, and they charged them $5,000 for being there Sunday night. They came back and they met on Wednesday night. They charged them $5,000 for being there on Wednesday night. And they're going to have services this morning in just a couple hours, and they're going to be charged $5,000 for every single service that they have. And they're starting their college back up because this is a place where they train people to go into the ministry, men to, the, to, to preach, women uh, to, to be secretaries and school teachers and all of these other kind of things. And the government has come back and told them that every single day they have classes, they're going to be charged $5,000 for holding class. And they're opening their school. And that means they're going to be charged $25,000 a week for having these classes on top of the $15,000 a week that they can be charged for having services on Sunday. And Pastor Treber, if you, if you know anything about their church or even if you listen to their radio or anything else, you can, I mean, he's like a ball of energy. And um, I don't know him personally. I've, I've seen many things that they've done. And, and actually his son um, was the youth pastor there at the church for a while. He came and preached for our teen camp four or five years in a row, I guess. So I got to know him pretty well. But Pastor Treber got up and, and made this statement on, on um, I think he posted on Facebook and in a couple other places, but you can see the disappointment on his face. You can hear the sorrow in his voice over what's going on and, and what's happening, and he explained the situation. They're begging the governor. They're begging anyone that will listen to them that can relieve the burden of the fines, but as of yet, to no avail. And this is America. You would never think that you'd have to go through something like that in America where you'd be fined $5,000 for meeting together in a church. On top of their, their auditorium seats, 3,000 people. They've not only cut capacity in half, they've cut it by like one-third. They're not letting more than like 800 people in this 3,000-seat auditorium. They've done, they, they, they don't go anywhere in the hallways without men. They've done everything that they can possibly do to fit within these guidelines. And yet... Here they are. They're facing what I would consider to be persecution. Pastor Treber, I mean, obviously God is going to take care of them, and he knows that, and he's not, he's not wavering in his faith, which is why they're continuing to meet and everything else. He said, but I don't know if we can sustain this. I don't know if we can keep the doors open if we're going to be fined $5,000 every time we meet. We said, I'll tell you one thing. We're not going to stop meeting because this is what God wants us to do. This is what God has commanded us to do. I understand the discouragement. We're hearing things like that more and more every day. I don't have to tell you how discouraging it is to see this world moving away from God so quickly. But this is a personal command. We are commanded to be of good 
cheer. And where God gives a command, he also gives us a way to obey that command. And so when he says, be of good cheer, I don't know what's coming for North Valley Baptist Church, but I know that the government's not going to be able to shut that church down forever. I know that even though it's discouraging now, God is going to bless them for taking a stand for his word. God's going to bless them for taking a stand for church. God's going to bless them for taking a stand for him. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm telling you, I can guarantee you there's going to be a lot of victories that they're going to be celebrating on the other side of this thing because of what God did for them and through them. And that's one of the ways that God allows us to be of good cheer when we're in the middle of a tribulation. You know that in the middle of a tribulation, God is only allowing those things to happen for our good. He says in Job, I mean, look what Job went through. How do you take a guy like Job and, and be of good cheer? I mean, you can stand losing your house. You can stand losing everything that you own. But losing all 10 of your children all at the same time? And essentially losing your wife on top of that because she said, you know what? You just need to curse God and die. How do you go through those things and be of good cheer? And you know what Job came up with? He said, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's one of the things that we can know in the back of our mind, if that's the only place that we can find to put it, is that God is allowing us to go through those things because he's trying to make us more valuable than we could ever be made if we weren't going through those trials. More valuable than we could ever be if we didn't go through and suffer through those persecutions. This is a personal command, but it's a positive command. We're not supposed to hang our heads in despair. We're not to be taken with an attitude of doubt or discouragement. God's commanded us, our Lord has commanded us to cheer up. Cheer up. We can be happy. In other words, in the middle of a tribulation of this world, it's the duty and it's, it's the, the responsibility of the Christian to be of good cheer, to keep up their delight in God wherever it's pressing, wherever things are difficult. And their hope in God, whatever is threatening, is what keeps us going for him. We are to be a light to this world. If Christians are walking around with the, the, the frown on their face and the mope in their voice, how is, how is anybody going to be excited about what's happening? How is anybody going to want to turn back to Jesus Christ? How is anybody going to want to come back to God? We're trying to get America to see that they need revival. If Christianity is so discouraging, if Christianity is so disappointing, if, 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 if Christianity is such a drudgery because we have to go through all of these difficulties, why would anybody want to come back to Christ? We are to be of good cheer because we are an example to the rest of the world. And if God says be of good cheer, then that means we can be. We can be. I'm not saying that we have to run around like a dog with his head hanging out the window, you know, his tongue flapping around in his face and all of those kind of things because, oh, this is great. I love tribulation. Bring it on. This is wonderful. Right? I'm not saying that we have to be like that, but we can be of good cheer. In fact, look, look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse number 10. And he's in the middle of a kind of a, a long thing talking about a lot of different things here. Um, Paul says, you know, uh, but in all things, verse number four, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. Those are all things that are difficult. Those are not pleasant things to go through. Afflictions, necessities, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults. Those are not exciting things. They're not wonderful things to be a part of, 
But look what he says there in verse number four. In all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. That word minister means servant. He's not talking about everybody being a preacher. He's talking about everybody being a servant of God. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Keep serving him, he says. But he comes down and he, he, he gets to talking in verse number nine, as unknown and yet well known. And I believe he's talking about the fact that even though nobody knows your name on this earth, God knows your name in heaven. But he says, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed. But look what he says in verse number 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That means you don't have to run around like a dog with his head hanging out the window. When you're driving down the road, it's not like you, ha- you know, it's not like you have to be this, uh, you know, Mr. Painted Smile on your face all the time. There's times to be sorrowful, but there's always time for rejoicing because even in the middle of trials, even in the middle of difficulties, even in the middle of of difficult circumstances and tumults and all of these other things, we can still have the joy of the Lord because God is still on the throne. God is still in charge, and everything that he's allowing, he's allowing for our good. We can be of good cheer. Look, if I have to go through some difficulty to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, let's let's do it. We'll bring the difficulty on. I want to see people get saved. Look, how many times has it happened that, that we've lost a loved one, and because that loved one died, somebody got saved as a result of that, Right? We have a family in our church that that exact thing happened to. J.J. and Sheree, they're not here this morning, but his mom was killed in a car accident right out here. We were here when that happened. We were working on the building, trying to get in here. We, were, we walked down there to, to try to see what was going on and see if there was any way that we could help out and ended up talking with J.J. and his brother. And they asked us to do the funeral, and so I preached the funeral. J.J., Sheree, Madison, Jameson, all of them got saved as a result of some tragedy. That was a difficult thing for them to go through. But we can be of good cheer because God is in control. God is in charge. And this is a personal command, but it's a positive command. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're bringing this thing to a close, but I want you to see this. Paul, again speaking, says this in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But look what he says in verse number three. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Be of good cheer, Paul says. Cheer up. And he gives us good reason because the condition in which we reside, we see that in the world you shall have tribulation. But we also have the command that we've received. Be of good cheer. Why? Because of the confidence in which we rest. I, Jesus says, have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Here's the answer to the pressures of life. Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer to everything that we go through. You know, it's funny because these kids, especially when they're little and there's candy on the line and you ask them a question and they raise their hand and their answer is always what? Jesus, right? Jesus, I want my piece of candy now. 
But Jesus is the answer to everything. It's, it's technically not a wrong answer because the answer is always Jesus Christ. He's the answer to everything that we face in our life. We can face any problem. We can endure any trial. We can sing in the middle of any storm because we know that through Jesus Christ, we have been assured the victory. Think of Paul and Silas. There they were in the middle of that prison. They were bruised. They were beaten. They were under guard, facing possible death. They were miserable, probably cold and wet and hungry. By the way, when the, when the Bible talks about the fact that they were in the middle of the prison, the inner prison, it was basically like a dungeon. It was, it was you know, and many times it was a pit in the middle of that dungeon. That was a horrible condition that they were in. And not only the fact that they were thrown in prison, they were thrown in prison after they had been beaten. After, the Bible says, they had been given many stripes. They were, they were probably sore and bloody and, and uh, you know, the scabs were starting to form and crack and everything else. And yet, in the middle of all of this, they're singing at midnight, nonetheless. Our circumstances don't control our response. Our Savior controls our response. We shouldn't be looking around and seeing the circumstances and saying, oh, how can anybody be happy in this? We should be looking around and saying, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are around us. We have a Savior, and he is good, and he's always working for our good. Our circumstances don't control our response. Our Savior does. He's saved us. He's redeemed us. He's overcome the world so that we might be of good cheer when there's not a whole lot of things to be cheerful about. I have overcome the world, he says. Christ's victory is the triumph for the Christian. He already won the victory. It's already his. Christ overcame Satan, and when he sends his disciples to preach the gospel to a lost and a dying world, he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, and so will you. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16 says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. That doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? We grew up out in the country in Indiana, and cornfields all the way around us, but all the way throughout the winter especially, it was just wide open fields. And way across one of these cornfields was a big section of woods, and almost every night, and even sometimes during the middle of the day, you could hear big packs of coyotes. And you could always tell when they caught something because they would, it's like this, uh, like they were just, you know, destroying something. You could always tell when they had something that they'd killed. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Not many things more, at least traditionally speaking, and in the stories that a wolf likes more than a sheep, right, to eat, not to be friends with. And that's the way that God is sending us out into this world. He's sending us out as sheep among wolves. Matthew Henry said it this way. He overcame the evil things of the world by submitting to them. He endured the cross, despising it and the shame of it, and he overcame the good things of it by being wholly dead to them. Its honors had no beauty in his eye, its pleasures no charms. Never was there such a conqueror of the world as Christ was, and we ought to be encouraged by it. He has conquered the world for us. He is the captain of our salvation. Because Christ overcame the world, we have nothing that we should be afraid of. He owns it all. He commands it all. He's in charge of it all. And we do that by faith. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. 
Nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We don't have anything to worry about. Jesus Christ has already overcome the world. Oh, the world hates God. Oh, the world is such a miserable place. Oh, look how far they're moving away from God. Oh, how is this going to ever, how are we ever going to get America back? How are we ever going to come back to Christ? Will it happen? I don't know. I do believe that we have another revival left in this country before Christ comes back. I believe that we will see another revival. But whether we do or not, whether the world gets any better or not, what do we have to be afraid of? Be of good cheer, he says. I've already overcome the world. It belongs to me. I've already defeated death. I've already defeated Satan. I've already defeated sin. All of those things are under his control. We don't have anything to worry about. There's no doubt that the conditions that we're living in in this world certainly does not favor a love for God. That's the condition that's unavoidable because we're in this wicked world and, and this wicked world hates God hates Jesus Christ, hates everything that has to do with God. We've been given a command by God to be of good cheer, and that means it's possible to be happy. It means it's possible to be cheerful even in the middle of a pandemic, even in the middle of an epidemic of sin, even when the world's upside down. And if he says it, that means it's doable. But there's more to the story because our king, our leader, our master, our savior has already overcome the world. We have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to be afraid of. We may face a little tribulation. But we have a gospel to share, a banner to bear, and we have a smile to wear. Messina was one of Napoleon's generals, and he just suddenly appeared with 18,000 men before this little Austrian town that really had no means of defense. And the town council had basically decided to surrender everything when an old dean of the church reminded them that it was Easter, and he begged them to hold Easter services for that Sunday. And so even though they were scared of what was about to happen, they knew that they were about to be completely overtaken by this Napoleon who was taking over the whole rest of the world. They decided to hold services and leave the trouble in God's hands. And so they did, and the French, when they heard the church bells ringing joyfully, concluded that the Austrian army must have come to bail this little town out, and they packed everything up, and they got out of there as quickly as they could. The incident has often been duplicated, I think, in individual lives. Ring the bells of joy in the middle of pain. Ring the bells of joy in the middle of difficulties. Ring the bells of joy in the middle of tribulation and pain and sickness and poverty and fear and loneliness and all the other trials that we go through. Then joy has conquered. Quickly, the enemy has slunk away. And that's what joy is designed to do. That's what God, having overcome, Jesus Christ, having overcome the world, is designed to do. And those that ring the bells of joy in their hearts have found themselves in possession of whatever it is that they wanted. No enemy is quite so strong as faith that's accompanied with good cheer. But we can be of good cheer because, as Jesus said, I have overcome the world. We sing a little kid's song. Cheer up, you saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. 
nothing to make you feel afraid, nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails, so why not trust him and shout? You'll be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. I know things don't look great. I know the world looks like it's completely upside down. The disciples saw what an upside down world looks like. We know the story. We can look back on the story and see it in 2020 vision, right? We know that Jesus wins. We know that he goes back to heaven. We know that everything works out fine for the disciples. But imagine being them in the middle of it. Imagine seeing the one that you thought was going to establish a kingdom on this earth forever being killed. Imagine seeing all of the rest of the disciples scattered. I imagine that most of them probably felt like they were the only one left. That's a world that's turned upside down. But Jesus knew that that was all going to happen. He knew how everything was going to play out. And so that's why he tells the disciples in John chapter 16 and verse 33. In this world, you shall have tribulation. You know that it's coming. I know that it's coming. But be of good cheer. Cheer up. I've overcome the world. There's nothing that you have to be afraid of. God's still on the throne. And he's not up there wringing his hands, wondering how everything's going to play out, wondering what he's going to have to do next to make sure everything fits in with his plan. He's in control. He knows what's going on, and he's already overcome the world. Cheer up. Be of good cheer. Our king has overcome the world. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the encouragement from the word of God. I know things look bad. I know things are not easy to be a Christian today. Oh, but we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be cheerful about. Brother Renato sang the message in song this morning. Oh, Jesus Christ's blood has covered our sin. What else is there to be worried about? And yet we have all of this in heaven besides. We thank you so much for what you've done for us. I pray that if there is somebody that's discouraged, I pray that if there is somebody that's down this morning because of everything that's going on in this world, that you'd help them to give those troubles in the world or in their own individual life, whatever it is, give them over to you. Be cheerful. Be excited about the opportunity that we have to see revival. Be excited about the fact that there's so many people that are unsaved that we have an opportunity everywhere we turn to see somebody accept Christ. Oh, what a tremendous, tremendous time we're living in. This is a privilege like no other, that as Christians, we get to live in this world, because not only can we be a witness, but we might get the opportunity to take a stand for Christ. Oh, what a tremendous opportunity. pray that you'd help us to do it, and I pray that you'd help us to do it in a way that's cheerful, in a way that'll bring other people to you. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the piano plays this morning. God's spoken to your heart. The invitation is open. You can come.